Good morning. He is risen. That's it. Some of y'all know that. If you don't know, so that's a, uh, something they say on Easter. They say he is risen. He is risen indeed as a way to uh, celebrate Easter. We'll try it one more time. That way everybody can have a little, a little uh, chance in case you missed it the first time. He is risen. Awesome, awesome. If you have a Bible, uh, you can open up to Luke, Luke chapter 23 and chapter 24, and Genesis chapter 2 and 3. We're going to be in both places today. We'll be in Luke first, and then we'll go to Genesis. We'll be in Luke first, and then we'll go in Genesis, to Genesis. Uh, and I'll go ahead and tell you, uh, well, let me, let, me, uh, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it really, really quickly. Um, Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for today. Uh, we, we are overjoyed um, in all of what this day means for us. We have, we have victory because you have been victorious. We have life because you have defeated death. And so, God, we, we are so thankful for this morning we pray, that, uh, we pray that lives would be changed this morning. Those that know you would have their affections stirred for you in a deeper way as they think on all the implications of the resurrection. And for those here this morning that don't know you, that they would be saved. That they would cross over from death to life. That you uh, would regenerate their hearts make them, and cause them to be born again that they would know you and be saved and be forgiven of their sin. I pray for me this morning that uh, you would help me be clear. You would help me speak the truth and love and that your gospel would be explained. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you saw uh, the theme of what we're doing today is death in reverse. So I'll go ahead and tell you the point of the sermon right from the beginning. Uh, if you don't listen to anything, at least you get this, right? Uh, the point of the sermon is this. You can go ahead and put it up. Uh, the point of the sermon, Jesus' death in reverse secures our death in reverse. Now, I'll explain all that, and we're using death in reverse. Maybe it's a little metaphorical. I'll explain it all what it means. But Jesus' death in reverse secures our death in reverse. So we'll take that piece by piece. First, what we'll do is we'll look at Jesus' death and, his, and how, what we mean by in reverse, and then we'll look at our death, and we'll look at it in reverse. So first we'll talk about Jesus' death, um, because without Jesus' death, there is no death in reverse for us. There is no life for us at all. So we'll look at Jesus' death that comes, uh, as I said, in Luke chapter 23. So uh, you can look with me at Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 44. Starting at verse 44, we'll see his death, and we'll go, we'll go in uh, his death and his burial and then his, his death in reverse. So when we, when we say death in reverse, we mean his coming back to life. He was, in, he was dead, and then it was all reversed, and he came back to life. So first we'll see his death in verse 44. Verse 44. It was now the sixth hour. This means about noon. About noon. They start their days <clears throat> at 6 a.m. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was death uh, and darkness over the whole world, over the whole land, until the ninth hour. So from about noon till about... 3 p.m., which is normally our brightest point of the day when Jesus was on the cross and the waves of wrath, God's wrath were being poured onto the Son of God, it got dark. It got dark in our brightest point of the day, 
obviously because this was a dark day. This was a day where Christ was, was receiving all the sin of the world and the Father was putting it on him. So it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and a curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, <clears throat> we need to realize that uh, when Jesus died... You can't do this. I can't do this. Jesus, when Jesus died, he chose to die at that moment. You can't just like, if you really want to die, to say, I want to die. But Jesus actually has so much power that in that moment, he chooses to die. He can choose when he dies, and obviously he has the power to come back to life. So into your hands I commit my spirit. He chooses to die at that moment, and in that moment is when he died for the sins of the world. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw, that's, that's the story of his death, and then you have the witnesses of his death. As we're looking at Jesus' death, you can go and put up point 1A. I'm sorry, there's, there's points here. They're going to follow. Go ahead and put up number one, Jesus' death now, and then A. We're looking at A right now, Jesus' death. All right, so, uh, and then we see this in verse 47. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts, and all of the acquaintances and the women who had followed from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So this, this is giving us, in a, in a quick summation from Luke, uh, the, the death of Jesus. Now we're picking Luke right now because right now we've been going through the book of Acts, and I thought, let's just stay in the same author, and let's keep feel the same vein. And so we'll be back in the book of Acts next week. Uh, so we see Luke's, we see Luke's uh, writing on and in the narrative of his death. Now we're going to see his burial. You, you can see that in the very next section. Going to num- number B here, letter B. This is Jesus' burial. Now there was a man named Joseph uh, from the Jewish town of Arimathea. Jo- Joseph was, was a very uh, rich man. He was a member of the council and, and a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. He was looking uh, for the kingdom of God. So he's, he's wanting to understand all that's going on. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it. Let's just make one statement. Um, Pilate was, was a Roman governor, and Pilate would not release Jesus' body if it wasn't dead. I mean, it was his job to make sure. The Romans built their pride on killing people well, and, and Pilate would not have released his body unless he was dead. So the, the swoon theory of Jesus appearing dead and then kind of just being nurtured back to health is, is absolutely false. He was dead, and then he was alive. There was no looking dead. And so uh, Pilate releases this body because he was dead. And now this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb and cut it in stone where no one had ever uh, been laid. And, and, but he didn't, he didn't stay there long. He didn't stay there long. And then it says this, it was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and, said, and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then, then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandments. So we have his death and we have his burial. Spurgeon commenting on the death and burial says, Behold the sacred body of Jesus embalmed in spices and wrapped about with linen. It is laid within is laid within and sealed and guarded tomb. How can it come back to life? 
Yet Jesus said, I have power to take my life again. And he proved it. Strange power. That spirit of which has traveled through the underlands and upwards to the eternal glory. Had power to return and re-enter that holy thing which had been born of the virgin to revivify that flesh. Means bringing life back to what was dead. That flesh that was dead, revivify. Bringing it back to life that could not see corruption. Behold the dead and buried one makes himself live again. Herein is a marvelous thing. He was a master over death. Even when death seemed to have mastered him, he entered the grave as a captive, but left it as a conqueror. He was, he was compassed by the bonds of death, but he could not be held by them. He could not be held by them. Let's just make sure we make it as clear as possible. Jesus, in what would seemingly be his weakest moment that he was in, still had the capacity and the ability to defeat Satan, sin, and death. He's alive now. So in his weakest, what we would seemingly say would be his weakest moment at all in his entire life, still has the ability to defeat Satan, sin, and death and revivify his own flesh and come back to life. Now he's alive. Consider the power he has now to do anything in our lives. Anything. In his weakest moments, he can defeat Satan, sin, and death. And he is not in his weakest moments anymore. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. He is absolutely capable of doing anything for us now. Now, this is what we should uh, consider. What was going on in these moments when he was dying? What was he doing? What was going on in these moments where he's dying and he's, while he's on the cross and even after that, before the resurrection? Quickly, I'll, I'll, I just want to point out a couple things. One, as he's dying... He's taking on our pain and our death. He took the physical death that was due to us. Um, it was literally excruciating. This word excruciating, uh, you've probably heard it, it means out of the cross. They tried to describe the pain that Jesus went through uh, on the cross and they couldn't come up with words so they made a word called excruciating which is literally out of the cross trying to describe the pain he went on. That's where we get our word. Um, and so they crucified him and so what he's doing is taking on our pain and our death. And there's lots of places in the New Testament that, that, that help us see this where they spit in his face and they hit him and slapped him and Matthew 26. They flogged him, John, 29, John 19. They scourged him. This is a, a whipping, Matthew 27. They twisted a crown of thorns in his head. These are all the pain, painful things they went through, Matthew 27. They struck him and they hit him with a reed and spit on him again, Mark 15. They blindfolded and beat him, Luke 22. And then they crucified him, Matthew 27, and actually every gospel. So this is the pain. He's taking on our pain and death. This is the physical pain and death that was due us that he took for us. But he's also, while he's on the cross, bearing the guilt of sin. Another way, uh, another way he took on our place and another thing he did for us is uh, not just the awful suffering, the physical suffering, but the psychological pain of bearing the guilt of our sin. Uh, we know of this kind of anguish in our own lives and we feel the, the guilt of sin. If you've ever, and you have, just I have, we've all, we've all sinned, and then we've also all felt the weight of that sin. And what we all want is for to desperately taken off our shoulders. Like, I can't bear with the feelings that I have of this weight of sin. And in these moments, as Jesus is on the cross, he's bearing the guilt of our sin so that we would not have to one day. He himself took on the sin of those who would be saved one day, and he's he bore all the guilt of all of our sin, taking on himself all the evil, vile rebellion that we had uh, that had crept into our souls. He's taking that on for us. 
all that he had hated and all that he uh, despised was being poured upon him. And so it was no easy thing for him to go onto the cross and bear our sin. This is another thing he's doing is bearing the guilt of our sin. Isaiah 53, the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, also he bore the sins of many. 2 Corinthians 5, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, to become sin for us. So the guilt of our sin was being put on him. Another thing that's happening is that he's bearing the wrath of our sin from God. This is a little bit more difficult. So he's not just bearing the guilt, but he's also bearing the wrath of God. God the Father was pouring out the full fury of his wrath on Jesus on the cross. The intense hatred that God the Father has for sin and the punishment for sin that he had to pour out was all being put onto Jesus. Romans 3.25 says that Jesus is the propitiation. This simply means that he is the wrath absorber. He is the wrath absorber. God feels a very, very righteous anger towards sin. Very angry towards sin. And it's totally righteous. And all that wrath had to go somewhere. It couldn't just be swept under the rug or just excused. It has to go somewhere. So instead of coming onto us, all of his righteous wrath is put on, that had been stored up was put on Jesus. And Jesus is our propitiation. It was unleashed onto his son. And so while he's... On the cross and being buried, some some other things are going on where he's bearing the death and pain for us. He's bearing the guilt of our sin. He's bearing the wrath of God the Father for us. And then he's buried. Now, that's not the end of the story. For every single one of us, that would be it. That would be the end of the story. Uh, We would think of our loved one that died. We would cry. We would remember them. We'll do different things after they're dead. Uh, But that would be it. That would be all that would happen. But that's not what happened for Christ. Certainly, on the Sabbath, that's what his friends were doing. That's what his mom was doing. But something happened on Sunday for him that doesn't happen for anybody else. That although he told them repeatedly what happened, they could not wrap their minds around it. He came back to life. He brought himself back to life. So we see here, point C, Jesus' death in reverse. This is John, I'm sorry, Luke 24, starting at verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the, the stone rolled away. But when they went in, they did not find the, bot, the body of the Lord Jesus. And automatically, if you're there, you're just thinking, somebody stole it. Why would they do that? They know that we love him. They know that we care about him. We know we put him here. Who would do this? Who would do this sick joke to us? And you can see in verse 24, I'm sorry, verse 4, they're perplexed about this. Behold, two men stood by in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said, why do you, oh, why do you seek the living among the dead? In other words, Jesus isn't dead anymore. He's alive. There's been a reversal of death. He's not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you? While he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must have things happen. Delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and remember this last part, and on the third day rise. And here we see what happens. That he comes back to life. This is super important because this is not what happens to us. We're dead, and we stay dead, 
but Jesus, when he died, he came back to life. And now, because he defeated Satan, sin, and death, and the resurrection happens, this is what spiritually is made available to us now. It's the, it's the most important part. When we talk about Jesus' death in reverse or Jesus' resurrection, we have to realize it's so crucial because, because he did this, now for us, spiritually, it's made available to you. At, we're going to see this in a second, but when we, all, when we all sin, we all die spiritually, and we're dead in our trespasses and sin. We're dead in our transgressions, and we have absolutely no hope. But because he defeated Satan's sin and de- death at the resurrection— He's made something available spiritually to us, which is that we can be made alive. Romans 6, 4 says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We also have now made available to those who trust in Christ, those who believe, who um, make him his Savior, they also can be resurrected in in a similar type way. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, Jesus, we're talking about Jesus, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we've looked at this first half, and you might be saying to yourself, um, why do you keep saying our death is reversed? It's not. We're, we're not alive before our death. So what I mean is this. Uh, it's not for us, like Christ. For Christ, it was life, death, life. And you're thinking to yourself, but for us, it's not. It's just we're born dead into our sins. So for us, it's just death. And if you become a Christian, life. It's not life, death, life. And I'm going to say, actually, it is life, death, life. And I don't just mean for you individually, but I mean for mankind as a whole. It's life, death, life. So let's look at our death in reverse. You can go ahead and put up number two here. And let's look at Genesis chapter two and three. Now, in order for us to see ours, we actually have to go backwards. We have to go backwards. So uh, we're gonna look at Genesis two and three, but we're gonna start in Genesis three and we're gonna go back to Genesis two. We're gonna see it in reverse. So here we go. Our death in reverse. First, um, as we do this, We need to realize that uh, we have to work backwards. We're going to start with our death. But something, when we say uh, death in reverse, what we mean is this. That something that was beautiful, that should have uh, remained and should now be beautiful, desperately wants to be restored. However, it has absolutely no capability of making that happen. You saw this, a picture of this, a metaphor of this in this video that we have. We have this shattered uh, vase and flowers all put together, uh, thrown together or, or d- destroyed into a thousands and thousands of pieces. It's beautiful. And it desperately should be put back together because beautiful things should be put back together. But ha- the vase and the flowers have no capability of doing that, of putting it back together into this beautiful piece. In the same kind of way, that's what is true of us. We're, we're shattered and broken and we were at one point beautiful. We were at one point uh, needing to be, 
made beautiful, but we have no capacity to put ourselves back together. So let's see the curse of death that's given to us. We're starting with our death in reverse. First, we see the curse of death handed down to us. We're working backwards from Genesis 3 and 2. Uh, hopefully, you, most of you know the story. If not, it's fine for us to go in reverse. You'll still catch it. You'll still catch it. So here's uh, A, our death, the curse of death, starting in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. After man and woman had sinned, God curses them. And this is the curse of death. You can go ahead and put up A, the curse of death. The, to the woman, he said, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desires shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, this is sin, where they had sinned, you shall not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorn and thistles, it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For <clears throat> out of it, you were taken. For you are dust and dust, you shall return. And you also see in 22 and 24, more of the curse. Uh, this is... This is the command that God had given them. They were, they were uh, having and enjoying perfect relationship. And after they sin, this is the curse that he gives them. And not only will uh, these things to the men and women uh, be given to them as the curses or the judgments because of their sin, but also where they were, the proximity, the location that they were. The, they were in a garden that's in Eden where they enjoyed perfect relationship with God. They're, they're sent out. Look at verses 20 through 2 and 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. This, is, this means he sinned, and he's, uh, because of that has to suffer the consequences. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him. Here it is. Here's the, here's the judgment or, and the curses that still come. Therefore <clears throat> the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He, was, he drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So this is the, the curse of death. They are now, uh, women will experience childbirth and their desire shall be for their husband. He'll rule over her and man will have to work Every day, before this, the, the, the food was just everywhere. There's nothing. It's just perf, perfect paradise with, with perfect relationship with God. And now he has to work. And they're also driven out of the Garden of Eden. We're going to see why that's such an amazing thing and why it's also such a terrible thing. So that's the curse of death that was given to them. Let's look at the actual death. What brought that on? These are, these are certainly horrible judgments to take place towards man, what did they do? What did they do? We're working backwards. Let's see what they did. So B, we're going to see the actual death. We're going to see the actual death. And the death of all mankind takes place in verse 7. Starting in Genesis chapter 1 verse 3. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Did I say 1-3? I meant 3-1. 3-1. Now the serpent was more crafty. So you've got, we're going to see this, but you've got man and, 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 and wife, Adam and Eve, uh, in, in the garden and it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, 
Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. I mean, basically, if you're, if you're reading with me, uh, one thing, like you can have anything you want, just don't eat this one thing. If you have children, you know that as soon as you point out the one thing they can't do, what are they going to do? That's the one thing they're going to do, right? It's better to not even let them know it exists. But <clears throat> the Lord said, uh, don't touch this tree in the midst. And so you have the serpent who's the tempter. He's crafty. And he's asking these questions because he has a, he has a motivation. The only thing he's trying to do is cause the fall. He's cause, wanting to cause them to sin, to fall away from God. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Lie. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the uh, tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. So uh, as much as you guys want to just blame Eve, like he's, he's right there, right? The conversation may have happened between the serpent and Eve in the beginning, uh, but he's just standing there, not protecting his wife, not doing his job, being a, being a, being a you know, Maybe, maybe just being a, a, uh, a passive man, being a passive man, said to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So we see what they did, and here, here's the verse. This is, this is the death that happens when we see the death. Here it is. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. The death happens right here. As soon as they eat, in the end of verse 6 and going into verse 7, then the eyes were both open. This is not a good thing. This is a bad thing. And they knew that they were naked. So there's the death that happens. Uh, Spurgeon says, The departure of life leaves the man necessarily powerless now, and he cannot restore himself to life. So when this happens, when they, when they disobey the one thing that God told them not to do, the departure of life leaves the man necessarily powerless. He's shattered. His life is broken. Sin enters the world and fractures not just the entire creation, but all of us, our human nature, which was not depraved, our human nature, which was actually put together perfectly like Christ's human nature. Adam was born into a, a perfect human nature, just like Christ was. When he ate, his human nature became fractured. It became sinful. And so it was not like Christ's anymore, but... He cannot restore himself to life. That's the difference between Adam and Jesus. Jesus, whenever the sin was put on him, could put himself back to life. When Adam, and we're all born in the line of Adam, when his perfect human nature was fractured and broken, he's helpless. He's helpless. He cannot put himself back to life. Well, we've seen the curse of death, what God did because of this. And here is the actual death. Let's look at life before death. We're working ourselves backwards here. Let's look at life before death. Look at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We'll start at verse 7. Start at verse 7. This is uh, where God's creating Adam. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden 
in Eden, in Eden, not the Garden of Eden. Sailhammer, he's just a, an Old Testament scholar. He, it, all the other places will say Garden of Eden, but 2.8 says Garden in Eden. And Sailhammer just makes this point. It's not necessarily a huge point, but it's kind of interesting. Is that Eden, it's not, the, it's not like the garden is Eden. It's that there's this massive paradise that the Lord has created. And the entire thing is Eden. And God plants a garden on the east side the east side of Eden, and when he plants the garden on the, for, for me over here, he plants a garden in the east side of Eden, and he lets them be in the garden that's in Eden. All right, so, uh, so you can see here, then the Lord God formed the dust of man from the dust of, from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature, and the Lord planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, um, in this, as we're seeing it, it, it's not some kind of just kind of passing name that he makes up when he names it Eden. The name Eden, Salehammer says this, uh, the, the name Eden means delight. The Hebrew word Eden means delight. The name is intended to evoke a picture for us, namely, idyllic delight and rest. This is intentional, the name Eden. It's idyllic or the most ideal delight and rest made possible and made available to man. This is a picture of what we're seeing here as we're life before death is God creates this garden in this perfect paradise, which is the, the place and proximity of the most delight that you can have as a human being. There is no greater delight that you can have. As it says in Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so Eden is the place of absolute perfect delight that man can have. It's the, the most idyllic rest, the shalom that all of our hearts have been aching for forever. God puts Adam in Eden, in delight. That's why it's, it's so funny when you see, or not funny, but uh, ironic or even sad when you see um, in verse 3-6 that when the woman in 3-6 looks at the tree and saw it was good and that it was a delight to the eyes, her Eden switched from God to fruit, to sin. Her idyllic rest switched away from the Lord to the tempter. So life before death is um, Eden is the vase and flowers being put back together again. That's Eden. That's delight. That's rest. It's what God has intended for all of us for all eternity. Um, It's what he created man to have. Eden is the true longing of every human heart. Eden is life before sin. Life before sin. Eden is beautiful. This is the state that we were uh, designed to live in and it's the desi- it's the state that all of us who are believers will be restored back to will be re- restored back to Eden back to delight back to perfect relationship and rest and delight in God every human heart desperately wants to return to this state with God every human heart wants to return to Eden to perfect rest and delight with God but the problem is the curse of death has been handed down to us and we're just shattered and broken into a thousand pieces. The world's broken. Everything 
is broken. And everything around us is a continual reminder of that. Let me remind you, as Spurgeon says, the departure of life um, from man means leaves us necessarily powerless. And he cannot restore himself back to life. So as we work backwards here, we see, well, everything was great. We sinned. I say sin, we, because we associate ourselves with Adam. We're all humankind. And then we have this, this uh, in verse 16 through 19 and 22 through 24, judgment handed down to us. And all of us can stand there and read the creation account and just think to ourselves, well, what are we going to do? I, I intentionally kind of passed over it. But there's a great little verse nestled right in to this entire creation account where God secures for us our death in reverse. And he even talks about Jesus. Jesus' death in reverse secures our death in reverse. And he tells us right from the beginning, from, the, from all eternity past, God knew the, the plans of man on how it would happen. And so as all this is taking place, he nestles this first gospel, the, the little words called proto-evangelium, he tells us proto meaning first, evangelium meaning gospel. Uh, that's where we get our name Evangelon, by the way. Anyway, so back to this. Um, he tells us, nestled in all this, that he's a gracious God. And the Eden that you have been and I were created and supposed to be in will also return to that. So for all of us, it was life, death, and if you're a believer, back to life again. And he gives us the death reversed in D, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis 3, verse 15. Here it is. This is, this is the good news. This is, this is what you paid your money for today, this morning. Here it is. Yeah, there's no, no charge. All right, I will put enmity, salvation's free. I will put enmity between you and the woman. So this is after they sin, God's saying what's happening between man and um, the serpent. So he's speaking to the serpent because uh, you can see that in verse 14. And this is what he says. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, between your offspring and her offspring. So her offspring is Jesus will be born in the line of Eve eventually. And so there's going to be enmity between Satan and Jesus. And here he says it. Here it is. These these two little phrases here are the gospel. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The you shall bruise his heel is Genesis' way of referring to when Satan seems to be victorious when Jesus dies on the cross. You shall bruise his heel. But uh, that's not the end because it says right before that, you shall bruise his head. This is when Jesus gets out his serpent stomping shoes and crushes the head of Satan whenever he resurrects. And comes back to life. It's the bruise your head is the resurrection. It's why we're here today. It's why we're here every single Sunday. But he shall bruise your head is the best news for every single one of us. Because Jesus had death in reverse, defeated Satan, sin and death. It secures our death in reverse and secures for us because he was resurrected to life. Revivified in the flesh and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Now every single one of us can return back to Eden. Delight, perfect rest with God the Father because the fractured brokenness of our sin that brought us, he takes us the beautiful things that we were and created and puts us completely back together 
and perfect relationship with him. Whenever it says, uh, he shall bruise your head, this is telling Satan, you've got no chance. I'm going to take care of it all. He's telling us of the coming Messiah. He tells us when Jesus puts us back together again. And let me say, he's done this for you. If you're not a believer in Christ, this morning, if you've felt the pangs of death your entire life, you've, you've felt the weight of the guilt of your sin on your shoulders, and you are desperately wanting it to go away, that's not just you feeling bad. This is a holy moment for you to say, the God, that God's calling you right now to say, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. I'll take that weight off your shoulders and I will return you ultimately one day to Eden, to perfect ideal and delight and rest with God. So death can be reversed for you. Believe this morning. Trust that Jesus died the death for you on the cross, that all the pain and suffering and wrath that he received was yours and then his righteousness, his perfect life will then be, the, the theological word is imputed or counted or reckoned as yours and you will be completely forgiven. This moment's for you. Trust right now in Jesus. You, you don't have to wait for me to come to you and pray with you one-on-one. Right now say, yes, Lord, I believe. I trust in you. I want to be saved. You can be made alive right now. Your death can be reversed and you can be ushered into one day ultimately Eden. Believe right now. But for those of you that are believers in Christ and it's Easter and uh, we want to, we want to uh, have our minds transfixed and, and moved and pointed towards the awesomeness of the serpent stomper, the awesomeness of Jesus and who he is, let me read to you this. Um, this is by a guy named Melito of Sardis from the first century, uh, and he has written this, um, this text on who Jesus is, and I want to I close with this, and hopefully the goal of this is to cause your heart to be stirred with affections for Christ for what he's done. This is what he says. When the Lord God clothed himself with humanity... And had suffered for the sake of the sufferer, and had been bound for the sake of the imprisoned, and had been judged for the sake of the condemned, and buried for the sake of the one who was buried. He rose up from the dead and cried aloud with his voice, Who is he who contends with me? Let him stand in opposition to me. I set the condemned man free. I gave the dead man life. I raised up the one who has been entombed. Who is my opponent? I, he says, am the Christ. I am the one who destroyed death and triumphed over the enemy and trampled Hades underfoot and bound the strong one and carried off man to the heights of heaven. I, he says, am the Christ. Therefore come all families of men, you who have been befouled with sins and receive forgiveness of your sins. I am your forgiveness. I am the Passover of your salvation. I am the lamb which was sacrificed for you. I am your ransom. I am your light. I am your savior. I am your resurrection. I am your king. I am leading you to the heights of heaven. I will show you the eternal father. I will raise you up by my right hand. This is the one who made the heavens and the earth. This is the one who in the beginning created man, who has who, has, who was proclaimed through the law and the prophets, who became human via the virgin, who was hanged upon the tree, who was buried in the earth, who was resurrected from the dead, who ascended to the heights of heaven, who sits at the right hand of the Father, who has the authority to judge and to save 
everything through whom the Father created everything from the beginning of the world to the end of the age. This is the Alpha and the Omega. This is the beginning and the end. An indescribable beginning and an incomprehensible end. This is the Christ. This is the King. This is Jesus. This is the General this is the Lord. This is the one who rose up from the dead. This is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. He reveals the Father and is revealed by the Father to whom be the glory and the power forever and ever and ever. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you. You are, you are just so good. You are so good. And we worship you this morning. We praise you, God, for your power to defeat Satan, sin, and death. And to be made alive again by your own power. And therefore securing for us power to be able to be uh, filled with the Spirit to live for you. The power that you give to extend to us to forgive us of our sin. And Jesus Uh, Your power that restores us back to Eden, to perfect delight and rest with God the Father. Forgive us when our delight is found in other things. I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, that they would be saved. What 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 an ideal day to be saved on Resurrection Sunday. Save them now. Cause them to believe and trust in you. And for those that are believers in Christ, God, I pray that our affections would continually be stirred as we think on this awesome, awesome work that you have done to save the souls of man, that you have crushed the tempter's head. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.